about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. Welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, and I'm joined by a full crew and more. With me, as always, is Steve. We got P-Wagon this week, and as a special guest, someone we've been trying to get on for a very long time, uh, Michael. Obviously, you guys know him from Twitter. He's pretty active there. Um, and something occurred to me kind of when we were getting guests for the show is we all know each other through Twitter, but none of us know anything about each other. So when I'm trying to put up a bio for Michael, I just I just couldn't think of anything. So I decided to make one up. So, Michael, you have to let me know if this bio is accurate or not, because I did my best. Fair. <laughs> Michael is a former UFC fighter who currently trains young athletes in northern Montana. He likes romantic walks on the beach, and he has been prosecuted for crimes against humanity. He was ultimately acquitted when the international community failed to produce any witnesses. Is that, is that accurate? That's close. It's close. <laughs> if he told you the full truth, he'd probably have to kill you. Right. Yeah, basically. That was my closest uh, guess. I was thinking, what, what does Michael seem like? And I'm like, you know what? UFC fighter, walks on the beach, and then international crimes. I feel like, what is it, like six degrees of separation if you like really, really try to connect dots, you might get to that bio. <laughs> right. Okay, so obviously um, that can't be remotely accurate. Do you want to uh, give us a little recap of, uh, of who you are and let the audience know? Well, for the purposes of what I'm doing here today, I'll keep it to Notre Dame. I mean, to make it simple, my dad's a 1974 graduate of Notre Dame, so I was born blue and gold, basically. Uh, my first Notre Dame game, I was, I think, six years old. It was at the, uh, Virginia against Notre Dame kickoff classic in the Meadowlands. I grew up in New Jersey. And just Notre Dame, man, my life, the rocket, ever since the rocket was a thing in my life, <laughs> just like I was sold. And been down in Texas since 2000. And just, I, well, you see my Twitter stuff, man. I, I Notre Dame's first. Like, I'm, I'm a sports junkie, no doubt, but. I, I can't go as hard about the Yankees or the Giants or any of my other teams like I do with Notre Dame because I don't follow them in the capacity I follow Notre Dame football. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I so. definitely relate with that. That's a lot, uh, a much better intro than mine. So thanks, thanks for correcting. <laughs> no problem, dude. But I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I have done some boxing. So the UFC thing wasn't crazy. I got a friend in Montana. So there's that. Um, I don't have any legal trouble. So though. now all the dots are actually starting to connect. Yeah. So you're kind of see. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you, you gotta you gotta stretch it, but it gets there. Just and so everybody fair, knows. The, um, the boxing wasn't like uh, professional. It was me and my friends had four boxing gloves. So <laughs> yeah, just to be, I'm, I'm not picking on Michael. We we were planning some guests for next week too, and I had written some specifically bad intros that are just meant to be absurd. So. Um, hopefully you guys look forward to that. Um, let's get into the game recap, guys. USF, we got pretty conservative with our predictions, at least I did. And then the Irish come out and give an absolute whooping. 52-0. That's a revenge game for Brian Kelly. Michael, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Well, I predicted 41-10, and I think somebody else had 41-10 in your group. I was 
Yeah, there you go, Steve. I was shocked to to see fifty two nothing only because I figured the defense would give up some cheap points. I had my questions about the offense, but uh, overall, the when I when I heard eight guys were out and seven of which COVID related, you know, Kyle Hamilton, you know, you go through the list and not one of them was an issue. Uh, did you miss a single player? Maybe Brendan Clark because he didn't get a chance to play, but not a single player that was listed was a problem. In fact, that created the space for a guy I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about today was Jack Kaiser. If those COVID things don't happen, but as nice as 52, nothing is, you know, there's always room to improve. And I still have questions about our quarterback. And we will get to that. But overall, loved it. Clark Lee never fails to impress every which direction. We saw a bunch of names, and hopefully we'll talk about a few of those guys. Uh, That was the biggest takeaway, was seeing a bunch of new names, young guys contributing, producing. And that's a lot. We have a lot to build on, a lot to build on uh, in a positive way, but also some things other players need to build upon because they didn't do what I expected. So. For sure. I think it shows a lot of depth we had to be able to just roll in so many rookies or, or at least fresh faces um, and then just have such a great performance uh, regardless. But let's get uh, let's get P. Wagon on. He uh, took a week off. Um, Coach P. Wagon broke down some film, which you guys got to catch on our Twitter account at Horseman Pod. Uh, let's take it away there, P. I wasn't surprised at all. USF is no better than a Tampa high school. They the line sucked, the D line sucked, the corners were slow. It I I could have played on N D that day and rushed for at least one touchdown. It it just you know, you look at a team like Notre Dame and when they're that much better than the other team on the field, you get concerned for the state of college football. Those were the top people that USF recruited. They scored zero points. They were, until our second team was in, they sucked. <laughs> That's all I got. They were I love, bad. I love cocky P-Wagon. Wake Forest this week. Throw me a party for that. that that's all. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve, patient Steve over there. What do you have? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... Uh, P feeling pretty confident there, but um, a lot of reasons to after this game. And, and obviously we'll get into a lot of that in the course of discussion, but uh, just a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, good teams you know, will win, but Dylan, what do great teams do? They fucking cover. They cover. So, uh, we covered, we doubled it. Uh, which was awesome. You know, um, I, I don't really gamble too much. I didn't actually have any action on this game. Wish I did because it would have been free money. Uh, but yeah, so so the fact that we're blowing away uh, inferior competition and, and covering the uh, the spread on that, uh, that's definitely making us feel good. And, uh, and then my second thought, um, Brian Kelly is done playing the fucking nice guy. And that had me so jacked up. I was so, so, so happy to finally see the you know step on the throat sort of scenario uh, that it feels like a lot of teams in the past have, have really lacked. And sometimes it's not exactly worked out to our benefit. So, uh, you know, get a lead and then just put your foot on their throat and crush them. So those are my original thoughts. And, and we're going to get statistical. We're going to go through our horsemen and, and that we're going to get everything out there. Um, so I'll 
this is me keeping it short and sweet, which is going a little bit too long by explaining that I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Dylan, I'm going to interrupt you before you talk, and I'm annoyed. Uh, Why? Why are you annoyed? Because Brian Kelly today had to come out and apologize for the, the fucking audio being captured in the locker room. I've coached, this is my sixth or seventh year coaching, and if I was recorded in my pregame or halftime speeches, I would probably have to apologize as well. You would have been prosecuted for crimes against you. I was about to say. I I am eloquent. I am the Muhammad Ali of coaching. But the difference between me and him is he's a Division I coach for one of the most highest profile colleges in the country. And he shouldn't have to apologize for saying that he's done being the nice guy. So, Brian, you don't have to apologize to me, coach. Thank you for your service. Let's get mean. Michael, hit it. Rook, I just I wanted to get to that. The I'm tired of being the nice guy talking about a shutout. The fact that you had to apologize, okay. If you're gonna take that that little snippet for what it is, okay, it sounds a little like what's he trying to say? Like what what's his message? But if you've watched any minute of Notre Dame football, and I know I'm a little bit older than you guys, I'm 36, and ever since Holtz has left, it's been that. Crap, it's been, hey, we're winning 30 to nothing. So just hand it off, run it up the offensive line's ass, and we'll get no more points. They'll score another 10 or 15. And it's like, no, I get exactly what he was saying. And if you've watched him football, you completely, fully, all-encompassingly understand what the hell he was trying to say. The fact that he apologize tells me that nobody actually knows what they're talking about. They just take one little sample of one message and make it out to be something it's not. Because he was 100% right. That was Notre Dame football. It was the fucking nice guy. And it was, oh my God, it was so tiring. I was waiting for it. I honestly was waiting for it. I'm like, oh, we're up, you know, what was it? 35, nothing at the half. I'm like, my 41 to 10 score is probably right on the mark. Cause we're going to score not even another touchdown. We're going to get close enough for two field goals. N- Nancy pants it around, not run the, not really try to make an attack, kick, kick a couple field goals. And then the second team will come in. They'll give up a touchdown like they always do. But it shocked me to see that message. I was pumped. I was like, hell yeah. That's what the fuck we need. That's why we've been losing to Clemson, Miami, the Alabama. The, the list goes on. The sixth loss that we've had has been because he doesn't make those speeches. And he needs yep. to. So, anyway, there's my soapbox. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. We're Agree gonna with explicit, everything. We're going to have to put an explicit rating on this one. My bad. <laughs> no, no. No, it started I off. I already broke the spell, so you're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think that goes back to what Steve talked about, um, where he mentioned, uh, you know, blowing out inferior teams. And that has been such a criticism of Notre Dame in the last 10 years, is that we've let these teams hung on. And that's been the one big criticism of Kelly, especially if you look at like the 2012 season. I mean, how many heart attacks did you guys go through that year? It was just every game. It doesn't matter. Playing pit to triple overtime. Like, that's just the way we play. And to come out last week and play Duke tight was not a good sign. I know that a lot of people were getting a little nervous about that. And then to come back this week and just blow the doors off USF, I thought was fantastic. And that kind of leads into something else because as we're part of the ACC, we're all keeping a very close eye on Clemson. Clemson played the Citadel last week and won 48 or 49, nothing, which was a lesser score than USF. And I think college football fans should really see that and understand that Notre Dame is legit. This is this is a good Notre Dame team to beat. You know, USF had a bad year last year, but to me, I always think of them as one of those teams who could kind of, you know, go eight wins maybe one year, maybe nine wins. 
they Clemson struggled with the Citadel, at least in the second half, right? So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, only other things I want to talk about is we dominated the first half, 35 nothing. We kind of a little bit took our foot off the pedal, at least offensively, but that, I think, goes to show what kind of dominant game it was. Um, the defense was just unbelievable. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that too, but they had 11 tackles for loss, which to me seems almost impossible because <laughs> you only run so many plays a game. Um, they gave up 231 yards, but only 65 of them were in the first half. Um, so my only concern with the defense is anything, if anything, is just the turnovers. Um, we haven't you know, produced interception. We didn't produce any fumbles. So that's one thing to kind of look uh, keep an eye on going forward. But the special teams were great. Two blocked punts, one for a touchdown. Uh, and overall today, or Saturday at least, um, the rushing game was really, really good and really efficient. And I'd like to talk about that later when we get into kind of the book stuff and passing the game. But, uh, Michael, I'm going to pass it on to you. Uh, the, the the special teams, I think our best special teams player was the USF long snapper. Uh, he was phenomenal. <clears throat> he was tremendous. Uh, <laughs> but but no, uh, to your point, the no turnovers. That's why I, I wanted to jump in. That, that was... Um, one of my takeaways is like we we got to start getting some turnovers because Clark Lee's defense is solid. They're good. I mean, how many, more often than not, I mean, I think it's like one or two times they've given up less than 20 points. But when you're talking about Louisville and Clemson and North Carolina, these teams coming up, turnovers are going to be a difference. And if you have a bend and break defense, like a turnover need, needs to be – in the equation somewhere but the 231 from usf i i laugh at that because 40 of it came on one play and the only reason it came on that one play is because sean crawford slipped if sean crawford keeps his feet he's gonna the, the runner that got the 40 yards is my size he's five foot five 170 pounds he was gonna get his clock cleaned if crawford keeps his footing so the 231 they shouldn't even have 200 yards of offense against us but that also goes to their quarterback play which that's atrocious i you know what i'm criticizing in book i should be thanking him that he's not that <laughs> but i just wanted to jump in about the no turnovers that was one of my takeaways too i was like we we need to start turning the ball over sure well they yeah, dropped was... two easy interceptions with cam hart like, yeah. he was thrown to him that's yeah. fair yeah, part of it is luck, but but that is an important thing because last year, I think if I'm correct here, my memory serves correct, Notre Dame led the country in turnover differential. Like that was yes. such a huge thing last year was not turning the ball over and then getting a lot of stops and turnovers on defense, which um, can obviously lead to the outcome of a game, right? If you, especially when you play Clemson on November 7th, turnovers could be the difference there. Um, but if we have, uh, if you guys have anything else to say, I'd like to get onto the four horsemen. Um, so if you if you do go ahead, but I think I'll start with the the P-Wag well the one thing one Lord. thing I wanted to say uh, as far as I don't know if we'll get to it, but the Kyron Williams fumble he hope I'm sure Lance Taylor is going to talk to him, but I like that he fights for extra yards, but that I'm always as soon as I see it I'm like don't fumble don't fumble don't fumble, and he did this time, but I. You got to be selective, and when you want to try to get those extra yards and expose yourself to a potential fumble. So that's a good point. Hundred percent. All right. So my uh, my four horsemen go off the traditional path. Uh, my first one's Tony Dungy. I love him. <laughs> he's so much better than Doug Flutie. And if you listen to him speak, he actually enjoys being in the booth for Notre Dame. 
unlike Flutie, who was just stealing a paycheck. Uh, so that'd be number four. Number three, Sebo uh, Flemister, Flemister, however you Sebo. Uh, he just runs angry and he hates everyone he's running against. Uh, and I just like that in a running back. He tried to fight half of USF's defense, uh, which is enjoyable to see as a uh, as a former coach. Uh, number two, Jay Bramblett, the best punter in the country. Two punts for 74 yards. Uh, don't let anyone fool you. He is the best punter in the country for a reason. And uh, number one, Tommy Reese avenged the, uh, the loss. Uh, he called a very good game. If he had a better than the CFL quarterback, it would have been a perfect game. Could have put up at least 70. But uh, those are my four. Dungey, Sebo, Bramblett, and Tommy. Very well creative. done. <laughs> and uh, let's see what you got, Dill. Okay, so for me, I wanted to pick something a little bit out of left field because I figured we would all have a lot of similar... Uh, picks here so for my fourth horseman i went with clarence lewis uh cornerback i thought he had a good game um i know there's not a perfect game there but he had five tackles one of which was a tackle for loss and um three pass deflections and i'm sure one of them probably should have been an interception but he got his hands in there i liked the way he played he just kind of stepped in for uh, Tariq bracy um i felt pretty good about his performance and I, i think if that's the future of our corner position i'm feeling pretty good um, third for me was, I mean, Tommy Tremble. I'm, uh, what an absolute machine out there. Um, the blocking and also the receiving, he was so good on both ends. Um, he did wonders for the run game, and then he was kind of the security blanket for Book. He's kind of becoming that guy, um, so that was good to see. Second for me, Sebo Flemster. Um, he actually led the team in total EPA, which is our nice advanced metric stat going out there. Um, he was a monster, like P-Wagon said. He was running to hurt people. Uh, and then for me, my first horseman is Jack Kaiser, but I'm going to let you guys talk more about him because I'm sure he's on both your list. So, Michael, take us away. Okay, so uh, my, I guess, uh, four to one was uh, Sibo, uh, Flamister. I, I mean, what he did was impressive. He got his chance, and he didn't, didn't fail at all. Uh, three, I... I struggled to to kind of find a specific person. I just I chose the defense, and for a lot of reasons. One you touched on, Dylan was uh, Clarence Lewis, a freshman stepping in. He didn't even miss Tariq Bracy. Uh, obviously, Jack Kaiser stepped in. the th- The leading tacklers were Kaiser, Griffith, and Lewis. I mean, those are guys that didn't see the field. Well, obviously, they only played one game, but uh, Kaiser and Griffith have been on the team, and they just stepped stepped right in like it was nothing. So maybe when I say defense, I mean Clark Lee. <laughs> but uh, that was impressive. Uh, the offensive line, the you know nationally touted offensive line, I got to give it to them. I mean, I know we're highlighting Flemister, and rightfully so, but the running backs combined had 31 carries for 254 yards. Because, I mean, Tyree threw in 65. Tyron had another 62. So they deserve all the credit in the world. But my number one uh, horseman wasn't a specific player, but a specific number, uh, 24. And Kaiser and Tremble uh, made that number uh, appear all over our screen. Uh, Tremble's a stud. He, I, I thought he was a receiving tight end. When you look at his frame, you're just like, oh, that's he's he's a he's not a blocker. He's an Evan Ingram type guy. He's you know he's not gonna get down there and shoot, man. 
They moved him all over the place. He was so multifunctional, uh, and he is a great pass catcher on top of that. I think he's got a bright future. And obviously Kaiser, uh, he just earned some playing time, big time. And there was, to me, there was no un, undisputed uh, line. I think it's the buck position that he plays. There was no, like, oh, clear cut, no, no excuse, he's our starter. I think Kaiser just made himself that guy. I know it's UCF. I get that. But he just – he showed so much. you got to get the guy in the field. So those are my four horsemen. And, oh, by the way, <laughs> I love the, the Reese call. I think that was his revenge game, like you said, and I, I love that he's one of your horsemen. That was perfect. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, your commendations to the offensive line, they were my – Honorary. Uh, they weren't one of the top four, but they definitely earned a spot because O line was awesome. They really opened up some holes. Um, you know, really quick to go through. Nothing, nothing that we don't have to uh, not repeat from before. But Houston Griffith, five tackles, one tackle for loss. Um, usually a fresh defensive back uh, in college football, especially with not much playing time, adjusting to the speed can get a little bit shaky, but. Uh, both, you know, kind of first time starters out there. Clarence Lewis as well played well. So, um, next would up would be Tommy Trumbull, obviously, you know, catching the ball and a blocking monster, everything that we've all discussed, but, uh, damn, does he play the ball, the game angry and, uh, he's exciting, man. And I, I think he's a red shirt sophomore. He can technically leave after this year. It would be nice to have him around for at least one more year. Uh, and then next up would obviously be Jack Kaiser. Uh, we've always say that the you don't have to have the best stats to be one of the four, four horsemen. You just have to be one of the guys that steps up and plays the role that you're designated. And boy, did he do so. And he also had the stats to back it up. So Jack Kaiser with seven tackles and a QB hurry, unbelievable. Um, and then the running back crew in general, you know, 38 carries, 261 total yards from the running backs. They also had four receptions for 37 yards and three touchdowns as a unit. Um, you know, it was a little bit more heavy with Sebo Fleming, sir, but all things considered, you know, all the guys came out and played well. Even Chris Tyree had a couple of nice gashes. Uh, so it'd be nice to see him get a lot more touches, uh, especially with, uh, with teams that we can really spread it out against. So those, those would be my four guys. Um, and offensive line definitely should get a lot of uh, pats on the back as well. All right. I think, uh, is it time for our favorite segment, Steve? uh yeah so we're on to juice in my nuts (laughs) uh so the my my juice in my nuts moment the the moment in the game that got me the most fired up and the most excited very first play of the game was a play action pass (laughs) that's mine too (laughs) we threw a play action pass we did it Oh, it's like the the it's like Tommy Reese and, and Coach uh, and, and Brian Kelly listen to the podcast because we've been asking for weeks and months and years at this point. Like it is just so common sense to throw play action out there, especially against uh, an, an opponent that you're expected to kind of blow the doors off of. And, and you know, if you got a guy that at preliminary people were talking about Ian Book getting potential Heisman votes. You know, there were some articles that popped up over the summer. If you're talking about a fifth year senior that is potential to get some Heisman votes, let him air the ball out and buy him some time, get you know receivers open by using play action. That got me extraordinarily horny to be un- inappropriate. So <laughs> how about yourself, P Wagon? What did you think was, you know, your juicy moment this past weekend? Can I flip it? Something that 
It just made me irate. <laughs> so it, okay, sure. so it was a Patriots moment. <laughs> sure, uh, it was deflated. It was late. It was late in the game. Uh, book they ran a zone RPO, so it was it was a read option, and they run a screen. Uh, so they're going trips or bunch up to the the field side, right? The further side away from the field. Book reads the DN. The DN crashes down. It's a pull read. Wasn't a give. It was a pull. He gave the ball. The running back got tackled for a two-yard loss. He pulls that ball and throws the, the RPO right there to the screen. It's another touchdown. He is a fifth-year senior missing JV reads. I ran the same offense, so I watched it a little bit closer. Uh, but that pissed me off. Yeah, I remember the moment in the group chat where you uh, freaked out. Um, my moment oh, was that the same. Was a different as, uh, one. He just doesn't. We'll talk about that later. That <laughs> there's a bunch. Um, you know, keeping the theme of being petty, I sent out the pettiest tweet whenever that first play action bomb was landed. I was like, "There we go, about time somebody knows how to do play action." Because last week was just abysmal for the lack of play action, and this week was a lot better. Um, but uh, Michael, best for last, juice in my nuts moment for you. Um, <laughs> so. I, I look at it as a trifecta, the juice in my nuts moment. I already referenced it once. Uh, <laughs> the snap over the punter's head that gets rammed down his throat that gets a true freshman a touchdown. The best part of it was as soon as the ball was snapped, the punter acted like Willie Mays in center field. He just turned and booked it. <laughs> he already knew. Yeah. And then he gets gets there just in time to get it stuffed. And then uh, was uh, uh, Jordan Batello. Jordan, Jordan, I was going to say Josh. Jordan Patello gets the touchdown. And that was just a cool moment. I mean, obviously the snap was hilarious and everything else. But a true freshman, Notre Dame Stadium, you know, he got his time to shine. That was pretty cool. So that was that was definitely an awesome moment because I, I laughed hysterically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the poor day for USF punter, right? <laughs> All right, folks. I think we should get into the, the main event of the evening. Let's get into Ian Book. Um I will, we got some, this is such a great segment because um, our friends um, on Twitter, and you guys got to follow them, at ND underscore FB underscore analytics, the Notre Dame stats account, they provided us some a sneak preview at some of their numbers for this week. Uh, this is a four horsemen exclusive. So we got some numbers from them. Um, there are two guys, Jack Concanon9 at Twitter, and then Cooper Klaus. So you guys should go give them a follow. They're super smart guys. They know what they're doing. And this next segment, uh, we're going to integrate some of those exclusive stats into here. But before we get into that, uh, the Four Horsemen podcast tweeted out a poll asking for you guys to grade Ian Book's uh, performance. Um, and 50% of you would give him between a B plus and an A minus. 40% of you would give between C plus and a B. And then 6% would do A or better. And then 4% said C or worse. Um, so we got uh, a pretty good turnout here, too. We got a 50 vote in only a few hours. So um, thanks for voting. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. The reason this is coming up is because um, it's it's a good point of discussion. Um, how well did, did, did Ian Book play? Um, it seems to be one where most of the fan base is kind of like, okay. Um, so, Michael, I'm going to let you start off with it. I know you have a lot to say here, so the floor is yours. Oh, man. Uh, where do I begin? I've heard, uh, you know, 
everything from oh he's people are he needs to air it out he needs to air it out i'm like it's not even about that and if you look at his stats 12 of 19 143 yards 63 percent completion percentage doesn't sound bad the problem is we're neglecting the seventh and not all of them fall into this category but javon mckinley ran a dig route wide the f open and he's got he i don't know mckinley's i think six one six two he's not five foot five he had a jump backwards over back shoulder head incomplete pass because ian book can't throw to a wide open guy running a dig route then javon mckinley did catch a ball only out of bounds why because ian book led him out of bounds. Uh, there's short passes from zero to five yards. He's throwing Randy Johnson fastballs out of receivers. They can't catch that shit. I mean, it's just, it, it's little things like that that just, just drive me nuts. That, like, where's the lack of touch? And then there was a, uh, on the broadcast, they, they highlighted why he checked down to Kyron Williams. It was the worst interpretation of it because they highlighted a tight end that was Open by about a yard and a half on a flag route. Last time I checked, this is D1 football. If that's not open, what is? I'm sorry, we're not playing JV high school football where you need five yards of separation. That's an open receiver. Pull the damn trigger and throw the damn ball. I've been, we've been seeing it since the Cotton Bowl. It's the same stuff over and over and over and over again. He doesn't hit the receiver until it's too late. He doesn't see the, the routes. He's missing easy throws. He used to be good at those, and that was like, oh, okay, he doesn't have a good deep ball, but he can make the easy throws. Now he's not even making the easy throws. So 63% is misleading because he didn't have to throw more. If he threw more, I promise you, it would have been more off, off target, and the stats would have looked worse. And the, the three, don't even get me started on three rushing touchdowns. Two of them were bogus. Tom Brady could have done those, and he does. <laughs> so, uh, and anyway, I just, I'm, I understand supporting our quarterback. I do. But at the same time, we got to be critical when he needs to be criticized. And I still see too many questions in, like P-Wagon mentioned, our fifth-year quarterback that has been starting for three years. That's a good point. Give me something. He is, he, he is yeah. definitely a frustrating quarterback. Uh, what grade would you give him before we move on to P-Wagon? I, like I, I put in the, 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 your tweet, I mean, based on the where you placed him, I wouldn't call it a C. Because he did do some things that the play action, he does have mobility and such things like that. I B minus is where I'm putting him at. Okay, that's a good score. P wagon. Since the Cotton Bowl, he's been dancing in the pocket, and there was one throw they used the the spider cam, and they were behind the line, and you saw it was a three step drop, which should be boom boom boom, one two three throw. He danced and he sailed a ball through the uprights because he has happy feet. He's not secure in the pocket, and he has one of the best offensive lines in the country. He, he is not confident with himself, and I'm jealous of you, Dylan, because next year, at this time, you'll begin to see him play for the Grey Cup. <laughs> He's not an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's not. You know, I would have said XFL, but that's no longer an organization. Oh, it is. AAF's no longer. The Rock bought it. Whatever. He's a CFL quarterback. He's no better than Johnny Manziel. That's my take. He should be better. That's all. It's funny because Johnny Manziel failed out of the CFL. Um, Steve, let's get your opinion in there before I hit uh, some of our exclusive stats. Okay. And... 
this will actually this is a pre-statistic that you you don't have. I just kind of dug into it myself. Um, in 2019, uh, Ian Book was four and one when he had less than 200 yards. Now the one loss was against uh, he had like 73 passing yards against Michigan in the monsoon. Let's take that out because that that was just an absolute disaster all over. It never happened. I don't exactly. know what you're talking. It literally just didn't happen. Uh, so last year against Louisville, he had 193 yards. They won 35 to 17. Against Virginia, he had 165 yards. They won 35 to 20. Uh, against USC, Ian Book only had 165 yards. They won 30 to 27. Against Duke, he had 181 yards. They won 38 to 7. That's a average margin of victory by 16.75 points. Round up, call it 17. And in every single one of those games, they still scored 30 points. And I think uh, you're definitely going to get to this in, in just a second. I'm, I'm almost positive of it. Is that our running attack this year has been significantly better than last year in terms of expected points added and other Saber metrics. But at this point, given the fact that Ian just last year was able to prove that he was able to win with you know not throwing for 200 yards, given that the the backs are better this year, and then we obviously have a phenomenal defense at this point, we have to just have the understanding and set the expectations that Ian Book is Mark Sanchez from 2009 to 2010. They, the New York Jets, believe it or not, there was once upon a time they, where they went to back-to-back AFC championship games because they had a phenomenal defense. They had you know, decent uh, skill position players, but they had a game manager at quarterback. That's what we have, boys. We have a game manager. There's nothing wrong with that. As a fifth-year senior, be responsible. Don't do anything stupid. Don't throw into double coverage. Don't throw across the field late. Like He's a smart guy. He still has some talents we can exploit. Is it going to be enough for the next level for the big teams for obviously Clemson and, and beyond? That's yet to be seen. He hasn't proven himself quite yet. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my general comments for now. And, and Mike... Did you have anything that you wanted to agree, disagree, or anything you wanted to add? Well, just the, the last little bit. That's the issue. It, you're you're not wrong. Everything you said is, is 100% true. He's a game manager. Tommy Reese better have a game plan that can hide the fact that he's a game manager against Clemson because that's where the issue is going to be. Game managing is fine. It's going to win us the games he's won. That's the six. The 33 and six, the six is because he's game managing, and that's not going to be Clemson. Sorry. That's, that's facts. That yeah, I think you you make a good point. Um, like Steve had kind of gone through, we don't need Ian Book to be a Heisman candidate to win games. We've shown that. I mean, Notre Dame has shown that in the last 10 years. We haven't had excellent quarterback play, and we've won tons of games. Um, but like you said, Mike, um, it's going to be huge to be in Clemson. You know, how are you, how are you going to win that game with 160 yards? So um, what I'll do now is we'll get into uh, some of the stuff provided to us by uh, Jack and Cooper. So I'm going to define first what a success rate is for everyone, just so they can understand when that term goes out, they have an idea what that means. So if you can get 50% of your yards needed on first down, that is described as a success. So if on first and 10 you get five yards, that was a successful play. 
Uh, if you get 70% of your yards on second down, that's a successful play. So if it's second and 10, if you get seven yards, that's six, that's a success. And then anything that gets a first down on third and fourth is considered a success. So just briefly defining terms out there so you guys have an idea of where I'm going with this. Um, before we get into Ian Book, I just want to give a shout out to the team rushing because it was more efficient and it was better and the, the results were astounding. And I suspect that has a lot to do with the athlete that we have and the athletes that they have. Our offensive line bullied their defensive line. They were very, very small, and our athletes just ran right through them. And I think, you know, we are past the ball here, but there are times when running the ball works better, and you saw that in the last game where Kelly just kept running the ball. It's like, well, you're picking up eight yards every time, so why not? So the team rushing had 0.53 expected points added per play. To give you a, a reference, that is roughly what Tua and Joe Burrow were at last year as just individual quarterbacks. So our running game was unbelievable. We had a success rate of 63.4%, which meant we were getting over five yards on almost every first down. Um, we added 6.5 yards per play overall, which is this is just outstanding. So I wanted to get that out of the way so when we talk about the passing game, you'll see how much we struggled. So the stat we always use here is QBR. Uh, that's adjusted. It's an ESPN metric. It takes into account so many different things. Ian Book had an 86.9. That's scaled out of 100. Most of that was probably actually with his legs, but he ended up fourth in the country this week. So when you look at that, you'll say, well, Ian Book had a fantastic game. He had the fourth highest QBR this week. But it gets a little scary, actually, when you look at what really happened in that game. So Book's passing in terms of expected points added per play. Now, remember, our running game added 0.53 per play. Ian Book passing 0.04. That was that, That's awful. That's almost negative. But we had a success rate of 47%. Here's the real kicker. Play action versus non-play action. That's something this account's been hammering a lot. The numbers are, it's unbelievable. Without play action, Ian Book's passing was negative 0.24 EPA per play with a success rate of 26%. That's negative. That He's better off not throwing the ball. With play action, 0.27 EPA per play for 66% success rate. Unbelievably different. You, when you're passing the ball, you are 50-point swing on play action. So for Ian Book, he had a very rough time dropping back and throwing the ball so michael you're 100 percent right in that game the way you had saw the game the the deeper you go in the numbers the more right you look in the first half he was all right he was 0.223 epa per play uh but his first drive of the second half was negative big time so that's kind of where his overall performance it, it's really hard to say in some drives he was good some drives he wasn't and when they were using play action he was good where he was best was running with the with his legs on scramble plays he was 0.83 epa per play that's that's unbelievable i mean that's that's almost double what the running game was doing so when he scrambles he's good on play action he's good but otherwise it wasn't a super great performance uh dropbacks were like you said it's 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 happy feet he doesn't feel comfortable he's not throwing the ball as accurately as you would like to some of his big receivers and i think there is a legitimate debate we could have here on how good he is. Because, I mean, again, his QBR was fourth in the country, but play action had a lot to do with that. And running the ball 
had a lot to do with it, and him running the ball had a lot to do with it. So our offense was great. It's a little worrying. And if I just can go on one last thing before we get out of all these stats and numbers talks, because I know that's hard to digest all at once. In 2018, Ian Book was 12th in the country in QBR for the whole season with 80.1, scaled out of 100. He was averaging 0.34 EPA per play on passing and sacks. So that is really, really good. That's about 0.10 behind Joe Burrow to an area. So he was a very good quarterback. 2019, you just skip a year. You talk about this Kelly regression with quarterbacks. It's something we unfortunately see. His QBR dips four points. He slides to 19th in the country. His EPA per play drops to 0.19. That is not good. I mean, for a quarterback, I mean, that's similar to some other decent quarterbacks, but that's not what you need to win a national championship, right? Heisman winners, Clemson's quarterbacks, LSU's quarterbacks, Alabama quarterbacks, they're much higher than this. So when I tell you guys that Ian Book passing today had 0.04 EPA per play, that is awful. It's just, it's not good enough. And I understand the receiving talent is a lot less this year, but if we're going to beat Clemson, if we're going to win the ACC, we need to improve. We need to improve, but thankfully the running game was good. Um, and I think, Michael, you want to get in first and then Steve. So I'll let, let you guys take over. I, I, I want to say was that, it, like you said, it on the surface it looks fine, but it's it's the late decision. It's the happy feed. It's, I mean, if we want to run a quarterback, we would have kept Randy Wimbush. I mean, like, if if his strength is his legs, then that's not the right quarterback. But the BK regression is a real thing because I put on Twitter, has any quarterback that's transferred out during the BK era proven Brian Kelly wrong? I mean, it goes all the way back to Dane Christ, Christ Hendricks, uh, Wimbush, Zaire, uh, who am I? I'm missing somebody. <laughs> uh, uh, Golson. Went to Cincinnati. Uh, that was Hendricks. Gunner Keel. Yeah, Gunner Keel. Uh, Ever Golson. None of them panned out. So you can say that, oh, Brian Kelly broke him down and that that's the reason. But some of these, Gunner Keel is a perfect example, transferred out before he even had a chance to, you know, and I, Ian Book is our best option. That's obvious. But I just I can't get over the fact that he started two full seasons and part of a third, and the best we can do is a happy feet quarterback that's afraid to pull the trigger when a guy's got a yard and a half separation from the defender. That needs to be fixed. I don't know how you fix it, but Tommy Reese was uh, a quick trigger guy because he couldn't run. He I don't know how you uh, you know I know osmosis can't work, but like get him to. Yeah, like, dude, I I can't run. I can't run. I'm, you saw me play. I can't run. I threw it quick. That's a, He made a living. He made TJ Jones a hero because TJ Jones would run these quick outs, quick slants, and Tommy Reese would one, two, three, boom, fire. And if Ian Book would do some of that, we'd have just so many. I mean, he involved Braden Lindsay a little bit, and he obviously it's UCF. He's not going to play the whole game. But that was nice to see. But I don't think it's a receiver issue. I really don't. Um, I. I don't think our receivers are that so far off. It's it's an Ian Book issue. Yeah. If Tommy Reese could run, Carlo Calabrese wouldn't have been quotable in 2011. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we're just going to... Anyway, yeah, what you... were you going to say, Steve? <laughs> because uh, he got arrested. 
Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to say something without throwing him under the bus. He's there. RIP. Anyway, um, and, and to compound upon everything, something that you brought up previously, Michael, uh, that he missed that wide open dig pass to uh, uh, coming across the middle to Javon McKinley. And Javon, we know, has the, the, you know, the catch and run abilities. That could have been a massive gain, if not potentially a touchdown, because he was all alone because he beat, he beat zone coverage. Um, but yeah, I mean, the point I wanted to make after all the statistics, after kind of just breaking down, you know, what we've all seen with our eyeballs and to state the obvious, but the running game has not historically worked against the big teams, you know, against Miami, against Alabama, against, you know, uh, even LSU in that bowl game, we weren't really running particularly well against them a couple of years back. And then, uh, you know, Georgia and Clemson, we have not run the ball well in those massive games. So then obviously if you can't run the ball, the, what's the alternative. And if we're going to force the ball into his hands, you know, then you're asking him to step up from being a game manager to something more, which is which is a, a baller or a game breaker. I I'm gonna remain confident in him and and put my vote of confidence in him. I think he would rise to that occasion, but man, oh man, has he given us uh, reason to be uh, hesitant to to do so? P wagon. I'm negative on book since the Northwestern debacle a few years ago but on the record Ian Book is my quarterback I will go to battle for him every week he needs to be better Ian Book is my quarterback that's what I just want that on record so no one can sound flip me and say that I wasn't confident after he leads us to a 14-0 season he needs to be better his feet need to be a lot more calm yeah I, I totally agree with you, and this is where I think stats and eyeball tests match up. You can look at film, and you can look at numbers, and you can find a solution. Um, Michael, you said something about, um, you know, how does he get better? How do we improve? How do we make the most of him? Because we got to understand he has his limitations. The answer to that is play action, you know? And a big thanks to the guys, NDFB Analytics on Twitter. That play action number, that 50-point swing between play action and no play action is going to be the difference between beating and losing to Clemson. You know, he needs to use his legs as well because, as we said, look, he was fourth in the country this this week for QBR. Rushing was a part of it. He is very good with his legs. Quarterback runs are have always been good um, because they keep the defense unpredictable. So if you can integrate our run game, hopefully, but like you said, Steve, it, it, of course it doesn't work in the big games because that's when big defensive lines can match with your O-line. So you're going to need to use that run game hopefully more creatively. You're going to have to use Book's legs more creatively, and you have to use play action. And if you do that, I think Book could be a fantastic quarterback. I think he could absolutely take us all the way if you know how to use him. And I think that's something... Tommy did a very good job of this week. I didn't want to make it seem like I still I gave him a B plus. I thought he was good, um, but it's because of the play action and it's because of well the second half stats were bad. But if you can use him the way he needs to be used, we can get the most out of him, and that's something a lot of other teams don't have. So Michael, I'll let you jump in there. Well, I was just gonna say like uh, kind of how Peter was saying he, he's our quarterback and and he is he's good. The, the issue I have isn't – it's I keep focusing on it. I've said it more than once. It's how many years he's been in the program, how many – he's played in the Cotton Bowl in a college football playoff game. 
and we're still critiquing him as if he was on a JV squad, if he's Brendan Clark or Drew Pine, which would be we, – we'd have much more sympathy if it was Brendan Clark or Drew Pine making these mistakes, but the fact of the matter is they aren't. It's Ian Book who's been in the program. And you're right, uh, Steve. We, it, the running game has been abysmal in the games that matter. And if you're relying on Book and he's still making these uh, – I hate to say elementary, but elementary mistakes and misreads – at this point, is it going to change? I I don't know. Do you guys have anything else before we uh, we move on to uh, predictions, or not for the game, but for the our, like our little side competition we have? I have uh, one last point. Uh, hopefully, you guys can still hear me. I'm pulling up the College Football Reference page. Gotcha. Uh, so since 2017, Ian Book has completed 531 passes. For 6,524 yards, 58 touchdowns, and 18 interceptions. For a QBR of 147.3. Passer rating. QBR or pass rating are different. Uh, Passer rating, sorry. Uh, You know, I'm not a stat guy. But at that same time, he's rushed 258 times, 1,053 yards for 11 touchdowns. When you look at those numbers like that, you're seeing a quarterback who wants to be run first. He would be a good triple option quarterback or even one of those Auburn court. He would do great at Auburn if that was the offense. The thing that we're concerned with is his ability to stay in the pocket with the best offensive line in the country. Uh, so just looking at those numbers, it, our concerns are valid. So that's the last point there. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I think we found a lot of common ground here. I think... I think we probably all voted in that middle category for on yeah. the poll. Um, yeah, he was he all right. Played but... a good game. B B plus. Uh, he didn't have as many yards or as many opportunities to throw the ball because you know, we ran the ball so well. So that's I didn't crush him on the stats. Uh, there was definitely some moments he could have been better, but hey, you know, take it one game at a time. And let's hope he comes out next week and and crushes it. But that kind of will lead us into the next segment. I will say one one last thing on the QBR, which was fourth in the country. That's great, but that is probably the weakest opponent on our schedule. Those are the games Without where you question. should be higher. You should be, even though it's, it is it is opponent adjusted, that should still be higher. His raw QBR was good, should have been higher. And that's what's concerning, is if he scores an 86.9 against North Carolina, against Clemson, I'm feeling good. That, that means we, we had a good game. Uh, against USF, it, great, but that needs to be higher because his 2018 average was 80. So his adjusted, kind of a... yeah, his adjusted has to be a minimum of 75 in those games for, in a, for us to stand a chance. Agreed. All right. So let's move on to our fun little prediction game. Uh, last week we uh, picked between uh, Duke, BC, SMU, North Texas, and Miami, Louisville. Um, Nick three and O oh, myself, two and one Steve, <laughs> One and two, you're now one and five on the year. <laughs> T-Wagon leads us <clears throat> five and one, and I'm four and two. We're going to stick with three games until the Big Ten comes back because I realize there's still not many good games, even with the SEC. By the way, the SEC is coming back this week. So week four predictions. Um, the games we're going to predict, Louisville at Pitt, Army at Cincinnati, and FSU at Miami. Did I say Miami twice, or did Cincinnati just rhyme with Miami? The latter. 
Okay, good. In my head, I'm like, what? Um, so two in-conference, one non-conference. Uh, we'll start with our guest today. Michael, do you have picks for those games? Yeah, so uh, Louisville-Pitt. I know Pitt looked impressive against, was it Austin P? <laughs> I think it's who it was. Uh, they won like 55 to nothing. Uh, but it's, it's Louisville. Louisville against Pitt. It's Louisville. Um, I know they just lost to Miami, but they showed plenty of signs of talent and growth. I, they're not losing the pit. Um, Cincinnati, I'm going to be honest. I just wrote down Cincinnati. I didn't even pay attention to who the other team was. And just because they're, they were one of those dark horses that if the Pac-12 and Big Ten still uh, sat out, that they had a chance to actually crack the college football playoff. Uh, I believe that, but not with the Big Ten comeback, unlikely. So I, I had Cincinnati there. And then the Miami game, Miami. They they surprised me against Louisville. Um, I thought it showed a lot about both teams, that both teams are going to be tough and going to be competitive. And uh, I would pick Miami to win most of their games uh, based on what I saw the other night, for sure. So, yep, that's where and- I'm at. I pretty much am agreeing with you 100% of the way. I'm going straight chalk with you, Mike. Uh, I I think it is Pitt is a, a very good team this year. I just think that Louisville is a little bit more quicker, a little bit more talented. So I think they'll prevail. Uh, although you, you can't, you got to love the Pittsburgh grit. Um, Cincy, I think wins because Service Academy, pretty straightforward. And then uh, yeah, I, Miami at home uh, against FSU. FSU is kind of becoming a joke of a program. So. I'm I'm rocking right with you, Mike. P wagon, go ahead. Although that's uh, a death I'm, sentence, by the way, Michael. If Steve is picking the same ones as you, it's, it's over. I'm going with it. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not putting this money down. This long, it's impossible. <laughs> it's, 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 there's no money involved, right? It's strictly just our word, which is yeah. pretty strong, but still. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Going with, going with Pitt. All my homies hate Stratford Satterfield. I do too. And they're wearing their alternate uh, steelworker uniforms. You don't lose in those uniforms. That's one. Uh, going with Army in the under. Uh, Army unders are 2-0 and on the year so far, and I respect the troops. And uh, Miami, because I like the Eric King, uh, I think he's a good player. He's a very, uh, very shifty player, fan of his. And uh, bonus pick, South Alabama, Thursday night, go Jags, jag up. I've become a South Alabama fan, if anyone wants to know. It's it's a thing. That's electric. He's the weirdest person I've ever worked with. <laughs> um, it's funny. Um, I was scrambling because I realized while I put all this together, I failed to actually make my picks for the games. So I was looking at some um, some quick numbers just to kind of get an idea of where everyone is. Um, Louisville Pitt. I'm going to go Pitt. I like Louisville this year, but something about those Panthers. You're just fading me. I'm just fading you, yeah. <laughs> um, Army Cincy, I'll take Cincinnati. Army is Army, and Cincinnati looks halfway decent this year. The big one for me was FSU-Miami because, obviously, you know Miami looks really good so far. Uh, really like the quarterback there, like you said, P. Um, but it's a rivalry game, and Miami is Miami. That's a tough Stop one. Stop being nice. Florida State didn't do well with a coach. Their coach is in quarantine. They're going to suck. Yeah, they're going to yeah. be bad. They're, they may be worse than USF. 
boy. Um, I think they're to be a half-decent high school team. <laughs> I was I was begrudgingly going to pick Miami, but I guess I'll fairly confidently pick Miami now. So I'm going Pitt, Cincy, Miami. Um, I got to catch up to P Wagon, who's having a hot start to the year. You know, he's just he's riding that uh, that hot hand. You I are you betting with tw- those? Yeah, I'm 23, 23 and two, both uh, money line teasers and uh, spread. So we're we're straight up across the board there, responsibly, of course. Of course, of course. Gamble responsibly. And watch Notre Dame responsibly. Don't throw any tables through walls. It was one chair. <laughs> I'm sorry. He threw an interception where it should have been a touchdown. Not my fault. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think we should move into the last segment here. Let's look at Wake Forest. Um, I'll do a quick rundown here, and we'll let you guys talk about what you think is going to happen. Um Wake Forest is 0-2 to start the year. Um, unfortunate for them, they had to run into Clemson. That game was 37-13. Scoreline's closer than it really was. Clemson was actually up 27-0 and then 37-3 at the end of the third. Uh, Wake Forest scored some garbage time points against the backup, so that was an absolute blowout. Uh, and then they lost a really heartbreaker to NC State, 45-42. So tough 0-2 for Wake Forest to start the year, but I think they're a lot better than their record suggests, although they're going to start off 0-3. Um, they're returning eight starters on defense, so that is one area to kind of keep an eye on if you're uh, if you're Notre Dame fans. Um, that could be a little bit of a problem. In terms of our efficiency metrics with ESPN SP+, Plus, uh, Notre Dame is eighth in the country right now, second among teams who have actually played. So we are looking really good. We jumped after destroying USF. Tenth uh, offense and ninth defense, which is con- continuing a thread from last season where we had both offense and defense rated highly so that's a good balance approach i like that wake force on the other hand is 69th in the country not nice uh 79th offense and 50th defense uh quarterbacks this could be an interesting one uh sam hartman is the quarterback for wake Forest. he has a 66.8 adjusted qbr this season after two weeks again low sample size but that's what we're working off of 22nd in the country. For reference, Book is 25th in the country. So their quarterback actually has a better score so far. That could be not a problem, but something to look out for. This quarterback's better than what we faced, um, and 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 that may make, that may make for some interesting matchups if Kyle Hamilton isn't in the lineup. Um, in terms of FPI, which predicts the games, Notre Dame has an 88.1% chance of winning. Um, for reference, and just a total side note, we have an 18% chance of winning the ACC, and our only game where we're favored to lose is Clemson. We have a 30% chance of winning that game at this point. So, with all that being said, with all the quick quick facts out there, um, let's turn to Michael. What do you think of Wake Forest, and how are you feeling for the game? Well, I, uh, it sounds crazy, but I thought Sam Hartman had been around for, it felt like, four or five years. But um, I, I, I looked, obviously, the Clemson game is a good one to look at because I think Notre Dame is right behind Clemson in the ACC. Um, they they were playing from behind from the beginning and just tried to play catch-up, never obviously going to catch up to Clemson. They got some few garbage points. They didn't really do anything um, that jumped out at me. Then the NC State game, if you look at the 45-42 was the final, but Wake was playing catch-up the entire game. They were playing from behind just trying to keep up, keep up, keep up. They ran the ball well. 
Hartman had okay, but they I think their leading rusher was like 130 yards rushing. Which, if that's their strength, uh, I'm not even sweating it because our our defense isn't going to let you do that. I mean, uh, we have a defensive front seven is just insanity. I mean, just name name somebody, and they've made a play already this year, uh, from Foskey to Kaiser to the Amendola brothers, and the list goes on. I'm not worried about Wake Forest at all. Um, I, my only concern is that they have had to play from behind, and they've been able to kind of catch up to a degree. I know Clemson not really, but nonetheless, they did put some points on the end. If Notre Dame starts off sluggish, um, not that we'll lose, but I don't think it'll look like we want it to midway through the second quarter if Notre Dame starts out like they did against Duke. That's fair point. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. Coach P Wagon, what do you see? What are you feeling? And uh, are you going to give us a Wagon Wednesday film analysis? Can't hear you. Uh, yeah, I was muted. You know, technology. Uh, <laughs> I will do a Wagon Wednesday, uh, probably from this NC State game. Uh, Dave Clawson is a very good coach. Basham, the defensive end, will have to draw double teams or chip blocks from the tight end. Uh, so th- those are the two things right there. Sam Hartman, he's he's a quarterback. Uh, he's good, good enough. I'll, I'll have a better breakdown when I look at everything. But the interesting thing to note about this game, it's moved back to Winston-Salem. It's not being played in Charlotte anymore. And Ian Book, this was his first start three years ago. Uh, it was a 22-3 to win. Uh, so, you know, time's a flat circle. Uh, Ian Book starting where he ended uh, Ending where he started, uh, kind of like the Harry Potter thing. Uh, so hopefully Ian Book finds the golden snitch and uh, we have another blowout on our hands. Also, Wake Forest has given up a boatload of points. Uh, I think they're one of the worst in the country right now in terms of points. And that's saying something. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, because there's teams like, I don't know. Uh, like the UAB Dragons that haven't uh, had to play Alabama yet and get blown out 72 to nothing. So you, there's something to be said about that SEC strength for schedule out of conference. But regardless, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I guess in terms of looking forward, it's crazy because the better our defense plays, it, it almost in turn looks statistically, at least speaking, that Ian Book is playing worse. And it's more so just because we're stuffing the other team so much on their side of the field that the way that it ends up is we get such great field position that like book has one pass. And then from there, it's just like, okay, might as well just run it in from here. Um, So it's, it may look like that again, uh, you know, which, you know, I don't think Ian might have the the greatest stats, but I think that might potentially be indicative of a, a field position, uh, scenario, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's no reason to fear them. There's no reason to think that we shouldn't win this game. 38, 10, you know, 38, uh, maybe we'll give up one big play, but by and large, this defense has been extremely responsible and they should shut everything down, giving, uh, the offense ample opportunities. So I'd like to see the, the offense be efficient, so they don't have, in, obviously dominance is, is what we want, but efficiency. I want to see a lot of play action, uh, some screen passes. I mean, you have Javon McKinley and Braden Lindsay who can both take a ball to the house in an instant. 
utilize those guys, get some timing patterns. There's no reason we can't open up the field. Yeah, it was great that we got Braden Lindsay into the game last week. I thought he was pretty good. He was targeted three times, and I think he, he made it every catch that was thrown his way. Um, Notre Dame has never lost to Wake Forest in our history. That's definitely not going to change. I think this game is an important one, though, because we had a first-week tight affair with Duke, who then got blown out by Boston College. That doesn't look good. But then we had a blowout of USF. So to me, this is kind of the, okay, are we more of that first game or are we more of that second game? It is also the very first um, common opponent with Clemson we're going to have. So looking at committees and looking at all that kind of nonsense, you'll want to beat them by as much or more than Clemson did. So this is going to be an important game in that sense, and I think it'll be an important game to keep the rhythm going. I don't think we're going to have the same running success against Wake Forest as we did USF. Um, it is possible, though. I mean, we have such a great offensive line, and we have so many good, talented backs, which is why I kept saying, guys, don't worry about the running backs or don't worry about missing out on that five-star kid from this recruiting class. We've got lots of talent, and it's the O-line that matters. So I feel pretty good on that front. Um, I think depending on how good Ian Book is and how well we scheme around him, right, if we're giving him second and third and longs or not, or if we're giving him play action or not, I think that could really determine how how much of a gap there is in this game. And show points, you know, style points, they still kind of matter, um, especially when, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the playoff committee this year, especially when we play Clemson twice. So um, I think that's it for me. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we give score predictions? No? All right, P-Wagon, I'll let you go first. ND47, Wake Forest 3. <laughs> right. That, that just sounded like the SNL bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, uh, Bears 72, God 3. <laughs> well, <laughs> money. You, can't, you can't say a shutout at home. It's you know goes against God. So even though they are the Demon Deacons, they'll get at least a three pointer. But it's gonna be like one of those bullshit three pointers, like uh, fucking Syracuse had at the Yankee Stadium the other year. All right, <laughs> Steve. Uh yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. I, I, I'll probably stick to. I'll probably stick to a 42. Uh, I'm repeating everything as last week. 42-10. So we score five touchdowns, uh, six touchdowns, I apologize. And uh, I don't think we give up more than one touchdown. So uh, 42-10. All right. I'll, I'll go before Michael. We'll let him give the big, big finale. Um, Steve, I hate you. I, I'm going 41-10 Notre Dame. Um, you wanted 42-10, didn't you? Uh, no, actually, I wrote down 41, but now okay. it's like Price is Right numbers. Um, <laughs> last week, last week I got conservative with them. I said the Irish would have been uh, only 35-10 or 35-14. Um, I think I have been proven wrong. I think that we can score way better than I thought. So I'm going to say 41-10. I think this game will be over at half. And uh, I think we'll play better in the second half than Clemson did against them. Like, I think we'll keep Book in there a little longer than Lawrence was in there. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's going to be a big, big blow. I'll take Notre Dame to cover. All I want to just really quick point my firm request to obvious podcast listener, offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, 
give us at least three Ian Book throws of 25 yards or more downfield and make two, at least two of those three play action. That's my firm request. Thank you. That's All a good right, one. I, I, I like that because th- this is a game where there should be opportunities to do so. It is an ACC team with more talent than UCF. Um, I feel like we're all in the same like mindset. I've got 41 13. Uh, so I, I think it's going to kind of be the same, you know, figure, you know, somewhere in the 28 to 30 range at the half, get a couple scores after. Uh, Wake Forest is going to get some field goals here and there, maybe get a, a, a lucky touchdown or something against the second team. But I, 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 all the stuff we've talked about, this is a great opportunity. It's not a great opponent. It's not a terrible opponent. But Book can, has an opportunity to show us some stuff, and that's, I think, what I'm going to be most interested in. I, I'm not worried about the score. If it's 41-13, 52-0, 35-21, we're going to win. But how, how does Book look? Because I think that sets the stage for our future. So, so naturally, it. it's going to be a very tight 24-21 overtime win because all three oh, of us Oh, yeah, the, the whole, <laughs> the whole we're, we're not the nice guy anymore. That was just this week. The next yeah, week, it's back to right. play down to the opponent, barely scrape by, triple overtime. Especially you know, yeah. on the road. It's it's an early game. It's like, what, 12 o'clock noon on the yeah. road in, in North Carolina, which is – I'm pretty sure that next. South Bend, Indiana is central time, right? Yes, yes it'll, it'll be 11 a.m. I'm in, I'm in Texas. It's 11 a.m. Central Time. That, yeah, South so Bend is the only city in Indiana that stays on the Eastern Time. Little fun fact for everyone. Oh, well, that is fun. As strictly because of their MBC contract. That's <laughs> but, probably yeah. Uh, but it's that does be, not uh, seem right. <laughs> it's going to be an early game. Uh, you know, so traveling early. I I don't love that, but step on their throat, for Brian Kelly. Don't be the nice guy, please. All right, I think uh, I think this is going to be a good, good game, good week. Next week we're going to have some guests, I believe, on too. But big thanks to you, Michael. Um, get, let us know your um, right now your Twitter handle so everyone can go follow you because you are one of the best ND guys out there. I mean, um, oh. with the engagement, with the pictures. No, I swear I love uh, the way you tag everyone and you get your family involved. I think it's brilliant. I think that's what Notre Dame's all oh, about. Oh, yeah, so, dude. I, I, Irish card bombs for everybody. <laughs> um, no, uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad I got on. This was awesome. I, I could talk Notre Dame football for another hour with you guys. But uh, my on Twitter, um, at MJPALK21, MJPALK21. Um, that's Notre Dame everything. That's I mean, I talk about other stuff, but it's mostly ND football. So if you want opinions, send them my way. I'll give you my opinion. <laughs> Awesome. especially about Ian book about halfway through the second quarter, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dude, this was awesome. I, I had so much fun. Thank you, Dylan. I'm glad we made this happen. This was awesome. For sure. I know we, we missed Thank out you on you last year. We've been meaning to get you. So, um, thanks listeners. Um, follow Michael, a big thanks again to NDFB analytics on Twitter. Give them a shout, um, five star reviews oh, only, please. Um, and we look forward to having you next week. So, uh, go Irish beat demon deacons. The Big Ten should be a college football playoff. They're a legitimate organization. Go Irish. <laughs> Go Irish. Go Irish.